0: I was recently asked on Weaver and Loom, "What is my message for those who are resistant to change?" And actually, I don't have a message for people who are resistant to change, but I have a message for change makers who are meeting resistance. Hey, it's Lucas Scrobot, and you're listening to Weaver and Loom. A few weeks ago, I was asked by M underscore XCII on Instagram. I was asked, what is my message for people who are resistant to change? I thought this was a great question because there's a lot of resistance to change out there. And the thing is, with change, sometimes change is good and sometimes change is bad. I don't think necessarily that all change is good and all change is positive. So there's some people who are resistant to change for all the right reasons, and sometimes there's people who are resistant to change. Um, They have reasons, but maybe those reasons aren't the best reasons. So before we get into my message for people who are resistant to change, which as I mentioned, I really don't have a message for people who are resistant, but I more have a message for people who are seeking to make a change in the world but are facing and meeting resistance as they are trying to move their change forward whatever it may be here on weaver and loom we are talking about the purpose of the podcast of this episode of the show of own the future is for change makers it's connecting us back to our purpose the weaver and the loom the loom represents our work it represents our heritage, it represents our destiny. And us as weavers are those who are the ones weaving on it. And oftentimes in mythology, the the weaver and the loom, it represented fate or destiny. So that's what we're doing today. We're talking about how do we connect back to our work, back to our purpose, back to our destiny. And for us as change makers, change making is part of our destiny, and we are bound to face and meet resistance. And that's okay. But before we get into that message, we need to discuss and understand how change happens throughout a society so first right it happens it starts with us change always starts with an individual an individual getting some sort of breakthrough that then the corporate can come underneath we talked about this last week on thurs thursday which would have been episode 73 if you haven't heard that 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 uh episode, go back and listen to that where we talked about cursing, curses, karma, and blessing, and how to step into and live in blessing. And so, it's people who bring breakthrough that the corporate thing can come under. This is how effectively change happens. But there's also ways that innovation or technology or ideas spread through a population. So how does society change? There are two books, one by Malcolm Gladwell called Tipping Point and another called The Diffusion of Innovation, which talks about how societies are complex systems. And when you introduce a new technology or a new thought into that system, the entire system changes and often you cannot anticipate how the system will change by an introduction to a new element into that system. Because of that, oftentimes change is can be a negative agent within a system. Often the systems that we have in, in our daily life, we do not even notice that they exist We don't even notice that they're present, and that is evidence, and that shows that that system is actually working quite well, and we want our systems to work quite well. But at times we think, oh, we need to change the system without realizing that it's highly complex, and it's actually doing, on the whole, pretty well, depending on which system that you're talking about, what system you live in. But when anything is introduced, it doesn't just happen to the entire system all at once, you may remember from your math class or science class or statistic class, the bell curve. The bell curve is exactly what it sounds like. It's a graph. And at the beginning of the graph, the the line is pretty flat and low, and it slowly starts to creep up and it rounds at the top and it comes back down. This is representative of how an idea or technology moves through a population set. It starts with a few people adopting the idea, or the innovation. And these would be the the innovators, the inventors, those early adopters, people who love new things, people who love to be on the cutting edge. Now, remember, people who love to be on the cutting edge don't always like to be on the cutting edge of all things. Someone might love to always get the latest gadget and technology, and yet they're still listening to classical music or listening to the music on vinyl. So just because you're an early adopter does not mean that you're an early adopter in all areas. As the early adopters adopt the new idea, the new thought, the new technology, whatever it may be, it begins to move slowly through the population until it hits a tipping point where it's now the majority can look at this new innovation, this new idea and say, oh, it is safe. It is acceptable and it's actually more risky for me not to adopt it than adopt it because then I'll be on the outside. The people that are in the middle of that graph, the majority, they want to feel safe. They want to feel on the inside of what's happening. They don't want to feel like an outlier or on the outside. They don't want to be late and they don't want to be early. They want to go right along with the crowd, right along with the majority, And so these people wait, 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 wait until it's a safe idea or technology. It's been tested and vetted, and then they jump in on it. And then there are the laggers. The laggers are the people who seem to resist, 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 and may never actually adopt this new idea or this new innovation. So three examples. One, you guys remember Google Glass, those glasses with that little clear box that you looked like a little cyborg walking around. Well, the, the early adopters loved it. They grabbed onto it, and they got a lot of flack for doing it. They really stood out, and it was kind of awkward, in my opinion. But it never was able to reach a point where it could actually tip into the majority. It never really caught traction. People were still like, uh, ah, it's a little too far out there for me right now. I'm going to wait until it's safe before I adopt the technology. That's an example of something that never made it through the market to reach market saturation. Then there's the smartphone. The smartphone, it started, there's a few people adopted it when the, the first iPhone came out, but there's a lot of people, myself included, who kept their, their flip phone or their BlackBerry. Because to them it was more reliable. It was safe. And then as it moved through the majority, everyone dropped their BlackBerry and they all picked up their iPhones or their Samsung and they adopted the smartphone. But yet there are still people, the laggers, who are using dumb phones. They haven't adopted a smartphone. Think of electric cars. Electric cars... Right now it has moved through the early majority, the early adopters, and now it's starting to be on the in. People, the majority is starting to adopt electric cars, hybrid cars, because it's no longer risky, but it's now on the in. But yet there are still people today who are driving cars who have zero technology and it has no computer chip in it, and they are happy to remain at that place, never changing away from their 1969 Buick. Okay, so where are we going with this? There are people who adopt early, people who wait for it to be safe to jump on, and then there's the crowd that are probably never or can be very, 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 very late to adopt a new idea or technology. And, as I said earlier, we don't necessarily always want the majority, the early adopters, or the laggers to adopt a new technology. I, for one, am not always eager to see change happen. I'm actually resistant to a lot of change that's happening even right now today in the world. The biggest thing that I'm probably resistant to as far as change goes, based on my principle, and based for good reason, is the attack and the undermining of the family unit. What do I mean by that? I mean that right now, especially in America and in the West, there are laws that are passed that if your five-year-old son or daughter says, I'm a girl, I'm a boy, when really their biological gender is male or female, if my son would say, I'm a girl, there are laws that are being passed that I would not be able to tell him otherwise, and I could actually get my kid taken away from me by the government- if I put him in therapy to help him with his, his his gender disorder, why is this important? Why is the the attack on our, the, the definition of male and female gender, why is this an issue? Why is it an issue in, in the first place? And what is it leading towards? Well, I'm so resistant to it because really it is the the liberal socialist left that is attacking and tearing down the definition of family, of father and mother. Why? Because if it can degrade and undermine the family unit, then individuals must be reliant on the government and the government becomes the provider. The government becomes the mom, the government becomes the dad. And why would people want this? Because people in government want control and they want power and they want to move, especially right now, in the West, there's this underlying of moving towards socialistic societies, which we have seen historical evidence of how they have failed time and time again and led to the the slaughter, the Holocaust of millions and millions of people, especially throughout Russia, hundreds of millions. Socialism leads to utter destruction. So I am very resistant to that that change that's happening right now where people are trying to redefine the family unit. I'm resistant. So, but there's other things that I am in one context seemingly resistant to, but in other contexts seeming to be advocating and pushing for change. Right now there's, again, change that's happening in the West where they're trying to, again, the the liberal left is trying to limit freedom of speech limit people saying what they believe, their ideas, their, their ideologies and saying that you cannot say certain things. You cannot have certain beliefs. And if you think different than me, then you are hateful. You're a bigot. You're a white supremacist. You're a da, 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 Why to silence you and, and, and silence you to censor you so that you can't speak. So Here again, here I am resistant to a change that I think is very negative and destructive to society, global society as a whole, whereas in other contexts where there is not a lot of freedom of speech, I would be the one seeking to advocate change, to say, we need to be able to talk about the issues at hand. We need to be able to discuss um, the issues that are going on with women, the issues that are going on in the family, in, in business in trade, in taxes, in education. We need to be able to freely discuss and address these issues, social issues, on a, on a broad-scale corporate, corporate level. We need to be able to have debate and conversation. So, Elizabeth, to the point. If you are a person that is seeking to make a change, do not worry about the people who are resistant to your change. Why? Because they are the laggers. They are the people, those who are resistant to change, they're all the way over here. They are going to be the very last people to change. Don't even worry about the majority. Don't worry about the, the, the majority of people. You're not trying to convince them. You need to find your tribe. You need to find and speak to and talk to the people who are seeking to change, the people who are interested in your idea. You need to be seeking out not everyone, but the someone. Don't worry about the majority, but worry about the, the few people in your circle, the few people that are interested. How can you empower them? How can you make them adopt your ideas and adopt your innovations, the ones that are willing and wanting to. That is where you start. You start with the early adopters, the the one to 4%. You start with those. And if you can win your small tribe, we're not trying to change everyone's mind. You're just trying to change someone's mind. If you can win that, then over time, slowly, 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 it will move from a small group and slowly multiply into the majority. Thank you for listening to this episode of Weaver and Loom. I hope that helped you. So if you're seeing and feeling the resistant resistance to change that you are trying to make in the world, remember, don't try to change everyone. Don't try to change those who are resistant. Seek to make a difference with those who want to be in your tribe, who are also seeking the same change that you are seeking. That is how you start a movement. That is how you move your idea into existence. Stay tuned for next episode tomorrow where we talk about what happens when you've changed, but your friends, your community, those people around you haven't changed, where they've stayed the same and you are now feeling like there's a disconnect, like you've had an experience. What do you do with it? when your friends cannot relate to you anymore and you cannot relate to your friends anymore. So that is tomorrow's episode on Weaver and Loom. So thank you for this question, M underscore XCII. I so appreciate it. And if you have a question, please send it to me. I would love to answer it here on Weaver and Loom. And if you like this episode, please share it with someone else who is seeking to make a change. Until next time, I'm Lucas Grobot, and you're listening to Weaver Loom, where destiny is woven.